I noticed the, when you were singing this morning, I noticed the sound of the children's voices. Pretty sweet, isn't it, to hear them? And not reluctant to sing out, which is great. I hope they never lose that. They never become so self-conscious that they're intimidated from, you know, just going ahead and expressing themselves like that in song. So it's wonderful to listen to them. You know, we have a great privilege when, whenever we have opportunity to open the pages of Scripture. I was wondering how many generations there would have been since the time of Jesus and it would be something between 80 and 100 generations from the time of Jesus till now. You know, we have four generations here among us at any given time as we come together. So really when you think about it, we think that it's such a long time back. But really it's not all that long when you think of it in that way. And over all of those generations, we only know a few of our forebears. Probably go back several generations we know. But uh, we have relatives, of course, going all the way back, which we know obviously had to be the case. And it may be, it may well be that many of them also did what we are doing now during all of those successive generations where they had opportunity, assuming they had opportunity to be under the sound of the Bible, under the sound of the Scriptures. And so we open them today. And whenever we open the Scriptures, they always welcome us. They always beckon us. They always say, come, come on, come and listen. Come and prepare your hearts to receive. Scriptures are a mirror. They become a mirror to us. We see ourselves as we really are in the light, in the reflected in the Scripture as the Word is proclaimed to us. The Scripture also is a light to us. So the Word is a light. And so not only is it a mirror that shows us who we are and what we're like, but it becomes a light to us that uh, illuminates the path that we should take, which is marvelous. Sometimes the Scripture becomes a rod of correction. And so rod, think we don't always think of rod as some brutal force, but the idea of the rod is the idea of correction. The rod doesn't have to be used to strike people. The rod can also be used just to direct, you know, just to give direction. Don't go there, go over here instead. So all of these things, the scripture, the scriptures do all of these things. This morning, last Sunday, we talked about Paul. And this morning I'm going to talk about him also. Paul in Ephesus last Sunday. Today there will be uh, Paul in Philippi. So Brent, it was interesting that you selected your reading from Philippians. Is Paul in Philippi that we want to look at uh, for a few moments this morning. I'm going to begin to read in Acts chapter 16 and verse 6. And this has to do with the Macedonian call. The Macedonian call. It says, as they traveled through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been prevented by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia, and when they came to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So going through Messiah, they went down to Troas. And it's very interesting to us that we learn from the Scriptures as we read them and as we meditate on them, we learn a great deal about our journey, about the journey that we are on. And a big part of being led 
is not just uh, led in terms of where we should go, but also led in terms of where we should not go. So oftentimes there's the, the illumination of the Scriptures reveal to us the path we should take, but also the path which we should not take. And to be in the right place, to be in the place the Lord wants us to be, involves both of those things. And we'll see that as we go through this. We'll see this illuminated. That's the teaching of the Scripture to us that helps to illuminate our path to assist us in the decision-making process that we are engaged in. That We have a lot of decisions to make, always making decisions. Whether we want to or not, they're forced upon us. And sometimes we don't know exactly what decision to make. And sometimes it's a question of, I want you to do this. This is obvious. I do this. Other times it's do not do that. And intermingled in all of that is our own viewpoints. And, well, I think it would be good if I did such and such. Or I would like to go here. I would like to do this other. So we have our own ideas in this. And they did as well. It says that they came and they were prevented from the Holy, by the Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia. Obviously, they were intending to do that. And the Holy Spirit said, no, do not do that. And they wanted to go to Messiah. They attempted to go into Bithynia. The Spirit of Jesus said, no, no, don't do that. Why would the Spirit of Jesus say no? Why would the Holy Spirit say no? Because there was another place, another area, that they were intended to be. And so we are familiar with this. We um, deal with these kinds of things all the time. And I wonder if we have an opportunity to look back. It's not good to look back too much, but sometimes it's good, a certain vantage point, to take a look back and to see the path along which we have traveled. Sometimes we probably spend have spent an enormous amount of time in places that we ought not to have been in the first place. Because we thought that would be a good idea. But we should not have been there. We should not have spent time there. And so, of course, the lesson is, how important is it to have the mind of the Lord and the leading of the Holy Spirit in all these things and to be in a place where we can sense the leading of the Spirit of the Lord in saying, yes, I want you to go here, and no, I, I don't want you to go there. To know the difference between the two. So they went down to Troas. It says, and a vision appeared to Paul during the night. So you say, well, this is a dream. I, it doesn't say it was a dream. It says it was a vision that happened at night. Is there a difference between a vision that happens at night and a dream? Yes. So exactly how this was, I can't say other than the Word says it was a vision that appeared to Paul in the night. And a certain Macedonian man was standing there in this vision and imploring him. These are strong words. And saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over here to Macedonia and help us. Paul had never been in what we refer to as Europe. He'd never been to Macedonia or Greece yet. He was wanting to go into Asia. Holy Spirit said no. Now in the night he has this vision. A certain man implores him. You know, the idea is, is it's like entreating him. Strongly urging him to come over. We need you. Help us. 
Very strong. Okay, so here we are in Jerusalem and the journey is up to Antioch here. And then you can see the path over through Cilicia, over into Iconia, Galatia. These are the areas over here that the Apostle wanted to go into. And then they travel over through Phrygia. And he came to Troas. There's Troas right there. You probably can't see this little dot. All right, so he came to Troas and the Holy Spirit is saying, don't go here, don't go over there, don't go there. So they came over here to Troas. And during the night, the vision of a man from Macedonia, and here's Macedonia, over at the top left of the uh, screen, you'll see Macedonia up here. So he travels now from Troas over to Samothrace, and they travel down to, uh, I guess it would be up here in this case, to Philippi. You see at the top on the left is Philippi. So that's a sense of the area that the apostle was traveling in. And so it says, and when he had seen the vision, we wanted at once to go away to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. And we need this kind of guidance. And they needed this guidance. We sailed a straight course to Samothrace and on the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi. And this is where we want to spend a little time this morning, in Philippi. So it's Paul in Philippi. So it says, Philippi is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. There's a little notation I'll read to you about Philippi. It says it's an old Greek city. It was conquered by Philip of Macedon in 300 B.C. And it was refounded over 200 years later as a Roman colony by retired Roman soldiers and their families. Philippi was an important gold mining center. And gold coins were minted there in Philippi. It was a busy commercial settlement on the Via Ignatia, also known as the Ignatian Way. And Pat will put a picture up of the Ignatian Way. And so this is Philippi, this path you see of the stones laid out to walk on is a part of the Ignatian Way. And so when they traveled from place to place, they would use these kinds of ways, as they called them, to travel on. And these would be the ruins of portions of Philippi. It says, and on the day of the Sabbath, on the Sabbath day, remembering now, this is Philippi. This, uh, there are very few Jews there. And there's no synagogue of Jews there in Philippi. So, on the day of the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate beside the river where we thought there was a place of prayer and we sat down and we spoke to the women assembled there. And, that, and when they would teach, they would sit down, of course, and then they would teach from a sitting position. And these are Jewish men and they're coming to Philippi. Very few Jews, if any, there. No synagogue there. They go up by the river. A group of women there and they begin to talk to these women about the gospel. It says a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Well, this is kind of interesting because Thyatira is from the area that the apostle was forbidden to travel in. She was from Asia. 
So she's from Asia. Thyatira is in Asia. The Holy Spirit forbid them from preaching the gospel in Asia. That's where she came from. But now she's living in Philippi. So this is kind of interesting to me because I've always said timing is everything. You notice timing is everything? So again, she's from uh, the city of Thyatira. She's a merchant dealing in purple cloth who showed reverence for God as she was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. I love these words. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention. Obviously, uh, Lydia, we don't know much more about her other than what is revealed here, but obviously Lydia was being dealt with by the Spirit of God before the Apostle ever arrived. There's a great deal about the life of Lydia that's very important to us. There's a sense in which we know she was a very important person. She was an influential person. She was probably a wealthy person. Some speculate that she was a widow and likely inherited her husband's business, but we don't, I don't know if that's known for certain. In any, way, in, in, in any event, she was very important in this business having to do with the dyeing or the preparation of purple cloth. And the saying, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. And I think we'll kind of look into this a little bit more deeply if we can, just for a few moments. It says that Lydia was from Thyatira in the Roman Roman province of Asia. She's a wealthy dealer in expensive purple cloth. This is kind of interesting, which only the most important Roman citizens were allowed to wear. So, how did the... cloth become purple. It became purple because of the dyeing process. And the solution, the purple dye, it was made from thousands of tiny murex shellfish. And Lydia may have been an overseas agent for a Thyatiran manufacturer. So there were these murex shellfish, thousands of these little shellfish. And they used these shellfish as the agent or the from which they produced this purple dye. And she was involved in this business. Well, then this purple dye then would be exported back to manufacturers and the manufacturers would manufacture this purple cloth. And uh, you couldn't just wear it. Anybody couldn't wear this purple cloth. If you were found wearing this purple cloth, somebody would say, uh, who are you? And what right do you have to wear this purple cloth? Are you an important Roman citizen? And you'd have to be classified as a certain, as a very important Roman citizen in order to wear it at all. So it was a status symbol. And it was very expensive. And she was involved in actually the, um, the harvesting, if you like, or the preparation of the dye. Let me say this to you. She is a woman. The Holy Spirit is dealing with her. She understands the idea of dyeing. That is how that the solution of dye, a cloth is placed into the dye. And when the cloth is placed into the dye, the cloth takes the the properties of the dye. The cloth is transformed by the solution into which it is placed and immersed and baptized. And she knows that. And she's listening to the Apostle Paul proclaim the Gospel, sitting by by the seashore. 
And the Holy Spirit opened her heart to understand. Well, you know, when you begin to understand this idea of immersion and being transformed by that into which you are placed and taking on the properties of that and being changed, being made new. She knew this dynamic inside out and backwards. And I just want to say, uh, without taking any excessive liberties with the, with the Scriptures, oh, what a beautiful preparation was in this woman's life already by reason of her vocation to understand the message of the Gospel, of being placed into Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit, being placed into Him, being transformed by that into which one is placed. Baptism uh, illustrates this great transformation. So, again, it says the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. And again, this is so important. I believe that uh, we can understand and see that Paul is being guided by the Spirit of the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, specifically to Philippi, and specifically to people such as Lydia. And he doesn't go to where Lydia used to be. He doesn't go to where she's from over in Thyatira. He goes to where she is. But, but if he's just on his own, doing things according to his own way of thinking and his own wishes, he would have went to where she was. But the Holy Spirit said no. How important is this? How important is this? So this is what happens as we read the scriptures? As we read the scriptures, then these, these kinds of things open up to us and we see it and are able to apply it in our own lives. Well, since he needed this, we also need this. I need this. You need this. We make mistakes all the time, I think, when we just rely upon our own way of evaluating and our own way of thinking about things. We make mistakes all the time and we don't sometimes know that we're making a mistake. What happens to him when the gospel is supposed to be preached to Lydia and she's over in Philippi and he's up there where she used to be? (laughs) Just think of it. And left to his own resources, he would have been there. But he wasn't left to his own resources and we're not left to our own resources either. I think that's great. And so, the Lord opened her heart I love these words. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. First of all, you see, how many people hear the message of the gospel, but they don't pay attention to what they're hearing? They hear it, but they're not really paying attention to it. So what they hear is just in one ear, and we say, and kind of out the other, and just flying around the mind, but doesn't really pay attention to it. Don't really see the significance of it. They're not really being addressed deeply within their person <coughs> by the truth of it. But she was. And so she received the message, of course, of the gospel and says, and after she was baptized, and they baptized immediately. As soon as as soon as a person came to belief and faith in Christ Jesus, then they baptized them in water right then. They didn't wait till the next summer or fall or whatever. They didn't wait. They baptized them then, right then. Why don't we? Just I'm just asking the question. Why do we not? 
Why do we not do that? If it wasn't important, they wouldn't have done it. Since they did it, they must have understood it to be important. And how did they come to that understanding? Only by the persuasion of the Spirit of God. Well, if the Holy Spirit persuaded them to do this immediately, right away, quick, then why not us? Why do we not do that? See, we have to ask ourselves, we have to, with all due respect, I believe the Word of God asks us this question. Now, not only was she baptized herself, but her whole household, this would be all those over whom she had some responsibility. So after she was baptized and her household, she urged us saying, if you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, in other words, if you see me as being genuine and you know that what I have come to faith in Jesus is real, then uh, come and stay in my house. And she had a villa, likely a large villa, being a wealthy woman and having this large villa. You come and stay at my house. And the scripture says, and she prevailed upon us. You see, it wasn't just, oh, well, if you'd like to stay at my house, you're welcome any time to stay in my house. It wasn't like that. If you folks need a place to stay, you know, you can come and stay at my house. It wasn't like that. It was like, if you consider me to be a believer in Jesus and a true follower of Him, and my conversion is genuine, then I implore you and entreat you and persuade you and urge you and will take no negative answer from you, come and stay at my house. You must come. You must come and stay in my house. Am I a follower of Jesus? Is my conversion genuine? Yes, we believe it is. Then you must come. <laughs> and she prevailed upon us. I love this. See, she didn't take no... She, she, she was a woman who was very skilled in business. She was a businesswoman. And she didn't get this position just because her husband left it to her. <laughs> I mean, if all she had was something her husband left to her, she can lose that as quickly as she could get it. She had more going for her than that. It says, and it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, and there's another map, I think, Pat, that you could put up for us. This is very important. Okay, see, this is interesting because this is the general area now where, where Paul met Lydia and the women down by the, by the sea. And a church today, a church has been built on what is presumed to be that site. And that's called Lydia's Church. Okay. But it's the next one I want to come to, Pat. Okay, so here we have the ruins. You'll see the Ignatius Way down below. And then this would be the ruins of Philippi. And this is the area now that the Apostle is walking in on a daily basis with those that are with him. It says, and it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain female slave who had a spirit of divination met us. What is the spirit of divination? The spirit of divination is that she was permitted to know things. She was permitted to know and see details about people's lives supernaturally by way of illumination of a spirit that is an evil spirit. 
I think it's really important for us to realize that supernatural, we all kind of have a tendency to be interested, interested in supernatural. Supernatural, supernatural. We have to be very careful. And it may be we have not been careful enough with regards to our desire after the supernatural. The things of God are supernatural. But the supernatural realm is not just good. It's also evil. And this young woman, she uh, was able to tell fortunes and tell people things about their lives. She had a spirit of divination. She was able to talk about future events. But I I want to emphasize this. It was not possible for her to be 100% accurate in what she said. I want to say that right now. There is a... um, There is a law that God has ordained that absolute accuracy may not be given or permitted to the fallen realm. It can't be. It doesn't mean that there's not a reality in it, but it can't be 100% accurate. Not possible. So anyway, she had this spirit of divination. She was occupied, possessed, if you like, influenced inhabited by an evil spirit. And this permitted her to give this kind of information about future events. So it says she had a spirit of divination and she met us and who it says was bringing a large profit to to her owners by fortune telling. So the owners would get her in one of these shops. See all these little businesses? Those used to be businesses. Shops. It's like a mall, isn't it? And she would be there at one of those. And she had these owners and they were charging large sums of money because if people would go in there and she could talk to them about their lives and tell them things about their lives. And a lot of what she said was accurate. And then they would charge. This is on the busy Ignatius way. And people are traveling and they walk in and they lay down their money and receive their information from an evil spirit. And she did this on a daily basis. That was the way she lived her life. And the Apostle Paul and his men who are with him were traveling along here too, you see, every day going to the place of prayer. And she sees them. It says um, that they were crossing the central agora, that is the Roman marketplace. It's fringed with pagan temples. And Paul is pestered by a slave girl who makes her owners rich by fortune telling. And so she followed Paul and us and was crying out saying, now I want you to listen to this. She was crying out after them as she walked along behind them and she was saying, these men are slaves or servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. That's what she said. Can you find any flaw in what she said? These men are servants of the Most High God. Is that right? Yes. They are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Is that right? Yes. I don't see anything wrong in what she says. I don't see any flaw in what she said. She's speaking something that is true. Would the Jews have said this? No. Would the religious leaders that Paul grew up in, 
say this and commend him in this way? No. Why is it that a demon-possessed young woman is able to say this about him and about them, which is absolutely true? Think about that with me. You see, it's possible for people to be illuminated or influenced by evil spirits and at the same time speak something that is true. And people then would say, well, it was true. What they said was true. They must be legitimate. They must be genuine because what they said was true and uh, so on and so forth. Therefore, we will give them a certain amount of credence because what they said was true. No, not so quick. Not so fast. No. We can't do that. She spoke something that was true that came from a supernatural source. She had no way herself of knowing any of this. She didn't know any of this herself. The spirit who occupied her knew this and the spirit who occupied her is an evil spirit and the evil spirit knew that about these men which was true and permitted her to say what was true but it's an evil spirit. And everything that she is involved in is forbidden by God. It's forbidden, completely forbidden. You see, so what you have is you have a truth spoken. It comes from a supernatural source, but at the same time, down underneath it, it's absolutely false. It's false, false, false. And it lures in people to it. And people begin to accept things that are false. And when they begin to accept true things but come from a false realm, then their hearts begin to be hardened. And their ability to, dis- to determine truth begins to be diminished. We have to be very careful. Not fearful. We have to be careful. And we're not careful enough. You say, are you careful enough? No. I'm not careful enough. I need to be much more careful than what I am. Why am I saying this? Because of the mirror of God's Word. Right? It's a mirror. And I see it in the mirror of God's Word. And the light shines on the path. It says she was doing this for many days. It wasn't just one day she did this. She did this multiple times. Many days. But Paul becoming greatly annoyed. I don't know if the uh, translation is exactly perfect here. Paul becoming greatly annoyed. I don't know if annoyed is the right word. Maybe it is. I'm not saying it's not. I guess I'm questioning it. If he was annoyed... I would say the word grieved somehow to me to me the word grieved sounds more appropriate alarmed a little bit grieved this can't be Paul knows the source is false and evil and yet he knows that what is being spoken is true but he also knows that the people cannot be in other words he cannot have an advocate who is an evil spirit he can't have evil spirits being his ambassadors. Even though what is being said about them is true, you can't have it spoken, that truth spoken from an evil source. You can't have it. You see? Because if that happens, then the people in accepting what is said are also accepting the source from which it comes. So he's grieved. It's not just a simple thing of being annoyed. It's something deeper than being annoyed. He's distressed by it would be a a really good word. Distressed by it. 
and obviously praised about it. So it says, and after many doing this for many days, but Paul becoming greatly distressed, let me say, and turning around, he said to the spirit, he didn't even talk to the woman, the young woman. He spoke directly to the spirit and he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out immediately. Well, guess what happened to her when the evil spirit came out of her? She was just a young woman whose knowledge was limited to her own resources. And that's the way it should be until she is born again of the Holy Spirit, born again of the Word. Right? The Word is applied by the Holy Spirit in the new birth. And then that may be that it is the Lord's purpose for gifts of the Spirit to be operated in and through her life. And if that is the case, then that would be wonderful and good. But it may not be as far as visible gifts are concerned. Scripture says in Psalm 37 and verse 23, the steps of a good man are directed and established by the Lord when the, when he, his, excuse me, when he delights in his way and he busies himself with his every step. This is the uh, Amplified Bible. The steps of a good man are directed and established by the Lord when he delights in his way. This is when the Lord delights in the way of a man then his steps are ordered by the Lord. And it says, And the Lord busies himself with his every step. Now, we're coming into a period of time now in Philippi. And it looks to me as if this is a real dangerous set of circumstances. It says, When her owners saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Now, what does this mean? What does this look like? Here we have them walking along this Ignatius way, right here. The owners see that this girl, young girl doesn't have any more miraculous ability given by a demon spirit. It's all gone. They blame Paul and Silas for that. So it says they um, seized them and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So let me say, what did they do? They walked up to them and tapped them on the shoulder and said, Sirs, would you gentlemen please come with us to the uh, marketplace? No. That's not what happened. They came up to them and they seized them. They grabbed them. And they dragged them down the street. See, that happened to the Apostle Paul and Silas? Yes. Surely there must have been out of the Lord's will for something like that to happen to them. No, not one bit. They were perfectly in the center of His will. Steps of a good man are directed and established by the Lord when the Lord delights in His way. And He busies Himself with every step, it says. That is, the Lord is busying Himself with every step, even this, even these steps. <laughs> it says, And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. Now, here you have it, being Jews. So racism is involved now. And they have no problem in grabbing them and seizing them and dragging them down the street. Why not? Because they're Jews. We don't like the Jews anyway. See? We don't have a bunch of Jews around here. Now, these guys come in here causing all this trouble. They've ruined our financial ability. 
It says they're Jews and they are proclaiming customs that are not permitted for us to accept or to practice because we are Romans. We are Romans. Now, they don't know that Paul is every bit as much a Roman as are they. They don't know that. They're just treating him as a Jew. We can do what we want with them. Okay. It says the crowd joined in attacking them and the chief magistrates. They What did these chief magistrates do to appease their fellow Romans, right? To appease their fellow Romans and teach these Jews a lesson to come meddling into our city. Uninvited. We'll teach them a lesson. So they tore off their clothes and gave orders to beat them with rods. I have this little note in front of me that says, where did we go wrong? Oh, Lord, where did we go wrong? We must have gotten off base somewhere for all this calamitous events to occur to us. Surely we have missed hearing your voice. No, they didn't miss hearing his voice one bit. And they knew they hadn't. But do we? What do we do sometimes when there's persecution or difficulty that comes? We have a tendency sometimes to think that, well, where did we miss? Did we miss? Where did we make a mistake? Well, it says they inflicted, after they inflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison, giving orders to the jailer to guard them securely. Well, having received such an order, he put them into the inner prison and he fastened their feet in stocks. What do you think the prison would look like? you have any idea what the prison would look like? I'll give you an idea. Let's look at a photo of what the prison likely looked like. There you go. Not too elaborate. I'm not saying that is the exact prison. I'm saying is like that. In that same area. That's where this is. In that area. In Philippi. And so they placed them in the prison. And I want to say that. See the Lord directs the steps. And we'll close this morning at this point. I'm just going to close with them in prison. Is that okay with you? We'll come back and revisit it later. But. The point of closing with them in prison is to say they are in prison, yes, but it is not a mistake that brought them there. It is the will of the Lord that brings them here. And all of these events that occur to them, of course, they will be vindicated in just a little while because the same magistrates who ordered that they would be beaten, the same magistrates are going to come down here in a day or so And they're going to come in and apologize to them and say, Oh, we're so sorry. We didn't know we violated the laws of Rome and the way we treated you. We didn't know that you were Roman citizens. We just thought that you were Jews, you see, and we could do whatever we wanted with you. And so they came down and apologized to them right here at the prison. But there was a reason why the Holy Spirit wanted them to be here. And the reason he wanted them to be here was because of the Philippian jailer and his family and his household. And so we talked this morning about Paul and Philippi. The next Sunday we'll continue on from this point with the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. May the Lord bless you.